But we're going to be in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 8. And um, we began there last time. And we're going to complete the chapter tonight. And then next week we'll start on the last chapter of Amos. But before we, before we begin, or pretty much as a prelude, an introduction to where we'll be tonight, I was going to bring up something that uh, I didn't realize happened because I don't watch the uh, Democratic presidential debates. I don't watch those things. I'd rather kind of pick up on what, you know, the, you know, the highlights because to me it's just a waste of time, honestly. They'll have to sit there and listen to all that garbage which they're going to spew out anyway. And uh, I'm trying not to be political here, and I'll tell you why. Because here's the, here's the thing. There's a great divide in our nation today. A great divide in our nation. Whether anybody wants to believe it or not, that divide has to do with us as believers in Jesus Christ and anyone who truly believes the word of God and lives by the word of God. When you have people, you know, like our own candidate from this city, not our own, but, you know, as far as El Paso is concerned, talking about, you know, if, if uh, that, that, that people are, to, you know, uh, and I think Greg, Greg Reed talked about it on Sunday, but, you know, he, you know he's, he's mentioning the, uh, you know, taking away our, our tax exempt status, you know, as, as a church, you know, for if we, if we don't hold to, you know, LGBT and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And of course, you know, I, I agree with Greg, you know, take it away. We don't need it. We have Jesus. We don't need it. God's blessed us with it, but we don't need it. You know, but this, these are attacks. These are attacks on the, on the, on the church. But what I heard about to, uh, from, from, uh, a radio source today was that on on that particular debate, I, I suppose it was on CNN, but there was a there was a commercial during that time, and on that commercial it was uh, it was by the um, Freedom from Religion Foundation, and that's what I wanted to, to to tell you about because you know the the person the spokesman for it was Ron Reagan, the son of the the former president Ronald Reagan, and. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read it to you. And, but, it, but it's about the last line, the thing. Did anybody, did anybody see it, by the way? Anybody see that, that commercial? Nobody? Okay. So he comes on, and he's, you know, by himself on, uh, and says, Hi, I'm Ron Reagan, an unabashed atheist, and I'm alarmed by the intention, I'm, I'm sorry, the intrusions of religion into our secular government. That's why I'm asking you to support the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the nation's largest and most effective association of atheists and agnostics working to keep state and church separate. And then he said, just like our founding fathers intended. Well, that's a lie. That's not what they intended. It was never to be freedom from religion. It is freedom of religion. I think we all would agree on that. That's basic civics. That's all that is. It's just, you know, basic uh, government that we study. Then he goes on and he says, and this is, this is what you have to listen to. He said, please support the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. That's how he ended the commercial. 
And I thought, and I saw it. I, I went to YouTube to see it. And I thought, well, you should be. You should be afraid. But part of the problem with that thinking is that there are even Christians today or professing Christians who don't believe in hell. I heard another preacher today say that 65% of professing Christians no longer believe in a literal devil. Do you know why all of this is happening? Because we've closed this book. Well, we've done two things. We've closed it or we've changed it. We've changed it to fit our new society, societal changes and lifestyle changes. But somewhere in the word of God, it says that God never changes. And it says to us that his word never changes either. So why are we doing these things? Because we've become more influenced by the world than by the God that created us and loves us with an everlasting love and sent his only begotten son because we're sinners and we need a a savior. And that's not just us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How painful it is to hear these things. Especially when we realize what we've been studying in the, God, in the book of Amos. That, that uh, judgment was coming to Israel. A people who should have known God. A people who were given God's word. And not only that, but from the very onset of the nation of Israel, were given the presence of God himself. Who was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. As they left Egypt. As they wandered in the wilderness, God was with them. But in time, what happens? In time, they began to worship other gods. They began to desire the gods of the nations around them. And God would send his his prophets. And the people would laugh and mock and, and, and at times even kill the prophets as we're told in Hebrews chapter 11. And God would send others. And then he would send kings that were good kings that would bring and find the word of God and read it again to the people like Josiah and others. But what happens? What does that say about our stick to In in the most cases, we have it for some things, but we don't have it for the right things. Sticking to what is important and what is eternal. So the children of Israel have been given a judgment. And what we've seen in these eight chapters of, of, uh, of Amos is this this uh, num- uh, the, the, a series of judgments, series of judgments given to them in various different ways, but all for the same reason. God is the, the Lord is telling them, "Listen, I'm going to come in. I'm going to judge you. Now, if you seek me and and repent, I'll 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 rescue you. I'll deliver you. I'll save you." 
And he did that time and time and time again. But he knew. There might be various individuals, you know, the remnant that would come to the Lord, but very few would. But as a nation, they did not. The Lord was judging them for their greed. The Lord was judging them for their uh, dishonesty. The Lord was judging them for the way they treated their own people, making them slaves, selling them for merchandise. And as we saw last time, judging them for covetousness. And we pick up in verse 7. And by the way, it is here in between verses 7 and 11 that we'll find seven I wills of God. We oftentimes talk about the, uh, the five I wills of Lucifer back in Isaiah 14. But here we find the seven I wills of God. Where God will say, I will never forget any of their works. I will cause the sun to go down at noon. I will darken the earth in the clear day. I will turn your feasts into mourning. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins. I will make it as the morning of an only sun. I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. So we begin in verse 7 where the Lord says, the Lord has sworn. Actually, Amos, on behalf of the Lord, says, the Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob. Surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son, and the end thereof as a bitter day. <clears throat> Excuse me. The day of God's coming judgment will be one of utter terror. For the Lord's judgment will be a day of justice. A day when people will be punished appropriately for their sins. There has been no doubt that the focus of these judgments that Amos presented to the northern kingdom of Israel, and by the way as well to Judah, that these judgments would be executed both in a near fulfillment as well as in a later fulfillment. Now we all know that the northern kingdom of Israel would be uh, uh, defeated by the Assyrians and the Assyrians would take them into captivity. The southern kingdom many years later would be taken uh, into captivity by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the Babylonians. So all of Israel would be taken captive. All of Israel would be defeated. That second defeat in, 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 in Judah, uh, of course, was the destruction of Jerusalem, the holy city. And 
And we had seen some judgments from chapter 7 into chapter 8. We had seen four of those judgments already, and we'll see one more in verse 11 when it talks about the famine of the word of God. But there have been many judgments that the Lord would be bringing upon his own people. And the key phrase in all of this to bring us to an understanding of the most significant part of the judgment, it would not be the near fulfillment, though that was important, it would be the final fulfillment. Or the later fulfillment. And the key to that is the, the phrase, in that day. Now we've talked about this many times because we've talked about the day of the Lord. Many times as we were studying in the, in the books of Joel and Hosea. Uh, and now in Amos. But that phrase, in that day, as we see in verse 3. Going back to verse 3 for just a second. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day. That is telling us that the, the, the real focus here is going to be in the last days. In that day, talking about the seven-year period of tribulation. The seven years that Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 9. In that day. Amos 8.13. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. In that day. We saw it also in verse 9. In that day. So these, of course, are references to the coming day of judgment, as I said, known as the day of the Lord. Now this particular phrase points to the end of human history. And it can be seen in most, if not all, of the, of the Old Testament prophets' books. But what is significant in this passage is that six judgments are mentioned in this last portion of Amos's prophecy that have not been described in any one invasion and destruction of the nation of Israel and uh, previously. In other words, some of these things have happened, uh, you know, one judgment here, one judgment there. But this is the first time we see that all these judgments are in one area of, of, of the scriptures. In other words, this present scripture passage gives us a description of six judgment events that will be launched in the last days which is the coming day of the Lord. The first one that we want to deal with actually is, takes us back to verses 1 and 2. The coming day of judgment is guaranteed by the sworn, the sworn oath of the Lord, which makes it an absolute certainty. It makes it an absolute certainty. So when we read back in verses 1 and 2, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. That was the fourth of the five judgments that began in chapter 7. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. I, I, I am not going to spare my people any longer, is what he's saying here. So, so that is a statement that God is making from the standpoint of a sworn statement. The end has come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. 
So that's one event of judgment. The second is the day of the Lord will be a day of catastrophic earthquakes. Now getting back to what we read earlier in Amos chapter 8 verse 8, it says, Shall not the land tremble for this, and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. So the whole land will tremble. The whole land will heave and shake violently. Well, that's a good description of, of an earthquake. It's rising and sinking like the Nile River, because he mentions there, as a matter of fact, he's mentioning the, uh, the river of Egypt, or the flood of Egypt. Well, the only thing that would flood like it did was the, the, the River Nile or the Nile River. So rising and sinking like the Nile River causing unparalleled flooding. So any survivors will be paralyzed with fear. And again, it, it, this, is, this is how it is described in verse 8. Shall not the land tremble for this and everyone mourn that dwell therein or that dwelleth therein. So any survivors will be paralyzed with fear, mourning and weeping and grieving over the disaster and the death of loved ones. Now, it may seem that this is, this is kind of just opening up a little bit more and more and more. Uh, it, in fact, it, it is kind of uh, uh, giving us a little bit more of, of what is going to be taking place when judgment comes. But let me just say this. Uh, you know, a lot of people say that the first half of the, of the seven-year tribulation is, is going to be a little lighter than, than, the, than the second half of the, tribula of the tribulation period, which is called the Great Tribulation Period, the last three and a half years. But let's, let's, let's understand one thing. All seven years are going to be terrible because all seven years are going to be tribulation on the earth. And we need to thank the Lord every day that the church is not going to go through that tribulation. I don't care what anybody else says. If you study the word of God, you realize that God is not sending seven years of tribulation for the church. He's sending seven years of tribulation for Israel. Again, read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Those four verses there are, are really the standard of end time prophecy. And when we read through all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, understand one thing, God has a plan for Israel. Much of the church today does not believe that, nor do they want to believe it. We believe it because God has said so. Some of us believe it because we've been to Israel and we see what God is doing, how God has bring, is bringing back his people into the land and God is preparing them for these seven years. So even though we have these six judgments, this is not progressively getting dark. It's already dark. In fact, going back to Joel, it tells us there, that the day of the Lord is a dark day from the beginning. Oh, there might be some globalization. We were talking about globalization earlier. There might be some globalization going on. You know, this one world order thing, one world religion, all of that. You know, everybody's cheering and thanking the Lord, or they yell like thanking the, the, the true Lord. They're thanking somebody. 
you know, that the Christians are out of the way now. We don't have them around here. In fact, we're told, we're told about a, a time when, um, uh, when the uh, two witnesses uh, are, are killed in the streets of Jerusalem that, you know, the people all, all of a sudden they, they understand what Christmas is now. They start giving gifts to one another because the, uh, you know, the, so they, they must be giving a lot of gifts to each other when they realize, you know, the church is out of the way. This is how much people hate the church today. Let me ask you a question. Are we trying to please the church, uh, the world and say to the world, listen, you got to love us. Man. We're nice people. I don't care how nice you are to them. The world in general hates the church because the world in general hates Jesus Christ. Because the devil has blinded them. From Genesis chapter 3, the devil has blinded the world and said to the world, did God really say that? What did, what did uh, Ron Reagan say? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fear hell. He's an atheist. He's one person that did everything he could to really upset his own father because his father believed in God. Father believed in the word. So, why did I get off the track here? Let me get back on track. Three, the day of the Lord will be one of cosmic darkness at midday. Amos 8, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in the, in the clear day. A major eclipse will take place at that time. With the sun going down at noon and darkening the earth when there should be broad daylight. This event will reveal an eerie, intense setting and backdrop for the people's utter terror and panic. And don't forget that the events of the day of the Lord will affect the whole earth. It's not just going to affect certain parts of the earth. It's the whole earth. Compare that with Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world. Notice that. I will punish the world for their evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. A lot of proud people today. Sometimes it's really sad to say that there's proud people even in the church. It ought not to be that way. Isaiah 59 verse 10 says, We grope for the wall like the blind. Why? Because it's dark. <laughs> and we grope as if we had no eyes. 
We stumble at noonday as in the, as in the night. We're, we're in desolate places as dead men. That's what it's going to be like on a day when there is complete darkness. How long ago was it? A year or two ago when there was this one eclipse that, that actually made it really dark in the afternoon. I, uh, it didn't affect us all that much around here. Nothing ever affects us in El Paso, right? I mean, yeah. A lot affects us here, but not like that. Usually up in the Midwest and, you know, as a matter of fact, they were showing the, the people where it looked like it was nighttime. It was in the middle of the afternoon. But it was very brief. Take that and, and, and multiply that uh, many times over. A darkness that doesn't go away. What is God saying? So you want darkness? Here it is. You want to live in darkness? Here it is. There's an interesting study done about, you know, solar panels, you know. Uh, it may not be in every state. I know that in California they say that, you know, they, they sell you on solar panels because you, you have to have them, I think. <clears throat> or it's getting to that point where everybody has to have them. But, uh, you know, if the, if the power goes out, that doesn't mean you're going to have power because you have solar panels. Solar panels uh, are there to help the power. If the power's not there, it's not going to have any power. You're going to be in darkness. I don't care if you have 5,000 solar panels on your house. This is going to be a darkness. Jeremiah 13, verse 16 says, Give glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness. <clears throat> and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while ye look for light, he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. Hey, give glory to the Lord. Get, you know, get to the light because he'll be your light. Don't forget what happened in Egypt. <clears throat> when darkness came upon Egypt, where was their light? There was light in Goshen. Goshen was where the, the children of Israel were. Goshen was where the Israelites were. There will always be light where God's people are. Joel 2 verse 10 says, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the star, the stars shall withdraw their shining. It will be a very, very dark time. Micah 3, 6 says, Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that you shall not divine. The sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. That's pretty dark. Fourthly, the day of the Lord will be a day of unprecedented grief, distress, and mourning. Let's look at verse 10 of our text. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of tie it all together here in just a minute. In verse 10 it says, And I will turn your feasts into mourning and, I, and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins. And baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son. And the end thereof as a, as a bitter day. It will be a day of absolute despair. 
due to the suffering and the death of so many everywhere. The pain and the anguish will cause the deepest misery imaginable, like the misery of losing an only child. It will bring about a bitter end of the nation Israel as well as the bitter end of the ungodly nations of the world. I think we would like to keep our fingers crossed, or at least some people would. Maybe that won't happen. But it's going to happen because God said it would. There may have been a time that we had boasted on the fact that As a nation, we hadn't suffered any great, great catastrophe, though we've had many natural uh, catastrophes in many different ways and places. But some attack upon this country, physical attack upon this country. And maybe we were saying, hopefully we'll never see one. And then 9-11-2001 happened. And the floodgates began to open, though we've never seen something like that again. We've seen a lot of other things. Terrorism. Mass murders. El Paso's a good example. It took someone from outside of this town to come and do what nobody here would have ever done. Or at least that's what we would have hoped. The fifth thing is the day of the Lord will be a day of severe famine. But not a famine of food. Not a famine of water. But a famine of God's word. Amos 8, verses 11 through 13. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This is the fifth vision of judgment that began in chapter 7. This is the fifth one. The The fifth of five. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. Now, I want you to take note that the driver or the mediator, the the impetus, the catalyst, if you will, behind the famine is the Lord himself. Take note of that. Take note that it says, I will send a famine in the land. It will be the Lord who will take away his word from among the people. And although people will frantically be searching for the Lord and his word, as we 
as we saw in verses 12 and 13. Wandering from sea to sea, from north even to east. Running to and fro, seeking the word. They shall not find it. Even the young men and women would faint for thirst. And though, although they're frantically searching, the Lord will no longer answer the prayers of his people. Nor allow the Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts. In that day, the Lord's Spirit will no longer be present to guide, protect, or take care of the people. Obviously, they, they will have the Word of God in some form, right? They'll have it, in, in, you know, whether in print or in other forms. And it is quite possible that people will search His Word to understand the catastrophes relentless relentlessly striking the earth and its governments at that time. I mean, <clears throat> they'll have it. They might even beg God to forgive their sins and deliver them from the disasters taking place around them. But even so, they will not find God. I mean, that's a powerful statement that he's making here himself, the Lord says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God. The day is coming that I will send a famine in the land. They will not find God, nor will they receive an answer from the Lord. I want you to consider how many people have access to the word of God today, whether they believe it or not. They have access to it. I know, I've known a lot of people who don't believe in the Lord that, that, you know, they've read the Bible, which is kind of strange, you know, we would think. But it wasn't strange back two, three centuries ago when there were, you know, there were agnostics and atheists in the times of, of, of the great preachers of, of the scriptures in, in the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century. The only difference is that most of those agnostics and most of those philosophers at the time who were secular philosophers and all had read the Bible from cover to cover. It was what they did. It was how they grew up. They had the word of God, but they didn't believe it. Or they came to a point where they didn't believe it. Maybe some even came to the point where they were looking at it and, and analyzing it and, and searching in it. And still at some point they had an opportunity, but didn't take the opportunity. Whatever it may have been. But we have a lot of Bibles today, don't we? It's really nothing to boast in. The important one is the one that you read. The important one is the one that you read and write in and, and, and mark and, and, and highlight and, and, and study and cry over. Where there are pages that are now crinkled because of tears. They may have access to a number of Bibles, even on the internet, and still don't make any effort whatsoever to open them, read them. And meet the God of creation who is calling out to them. 
How fitting are the statements that are made in Deuteronomy 4, verses 27 through 31. And the Lord shall scatter you. Now remember, this is early on. This is during the time of the giving of the law, and now the giving of the second law, or the, the second giving of the law, I should say. Deuteronomy, that's what the Deuteronomy is. The Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen. Whither the Lord shall lead you. And there you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. And notice verse 29. But if from thence, from, if, if right from there, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation and all these things come upon thee, even in the latter days, notice, up to a certain extent, but even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. That's why every prophet cries out to the people, repent and turn back to God. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. What is that telling us? He, he may be found now. There may be a day where he will not be found. And you can search high and low. And you won't find him. And it's not because he isn't present, because he is omnipresent. There isn't a place that the Lord can't be. For he's created all things. And while being above his creation, nonetheless, he is ever present. Scripture even alludes to the very fact that God himself is in hell. Not that he's in hell, uh, you know, like anybody else. But there's an understanding from the scriptures. And even Jesus himself went to preach to the captives in prison. Understand again, they had put themselves there in a place where the Lord wasn't going to say to them, hey, You come now. Can't. Remember the rich man in Lazarus. Luke 16. There's a gap. There's no way that you can cross it. Seek the Lord while you may be found. Call ye upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon I mean, we could even go back to chapter 5 of Amos and hear the words of the Lord <clears throat> through the prophet to the people when he says in verse 4, for, for thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. If you seek me, you're going to live. Jump down to verse 6. Seek ye the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. 
Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars in Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. Two constellations. I have to mention this, but very, very soon we'll see Orion in the southern sky. Every time winter starts approaching, we'll see Orion. God placed it there. Just as he did the seven stars. The Big Dipper, Little Dipper, and the North Star. And every other planet and every other heavenly body that's out there at night, if we can see it through the smog. Sadly, it will, only, it will not only be Israel and Judah passing through that famine alone in that day. It isn't just them. Worldly Christendom. Now, when I say Christendom, I'm, I'm talking about a, a, a visible, professing Christianity. Visible in the whole world sense. And... A lot of it is going to be very uh, prominent in the last days because of, of the one world religion, which a lot of people believe will actually be headquartered in Rome. But there will be a famine of the word even for worldly Christendom while blessed richly with the Holy Scriptures, will have utterly turned from truth to fables. A lot of people today are believing in fables. Wasn't this one of Paul's warnings? 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge thee therefore, he's telling Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant. In season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, stories. A lot of stories being told in churches today. Many of them not even related to things in, that happen in Scripture. They're turning their ears away from the truth, God's truth. Let's remember that. There are still abominations. But some people have tried to wipe out abominations by retranslating the, the word and changing wordings in modern uh, biblical translations. 
That's dishonesty. Mostly, you know, these things are done to affect the lifestyles of people, that people want to live a certain way, and they think, you know, how can God judge me for being who I am? Well, no, the lie is that Satan has told you that you're somebody that you're not, or that you're something that you're not. But what has it done to our nation? Especially when we had somebody in the White House that turned the White House into rainbow colors one day. When the Supreme Court uh, ruled that uh, same-sex marriage was, was the law of the land. That's not the law of God. Not at all. That was a nail in the coffin for this nation. Fable. We all know how many genders there are in this, you know, in, in, in humanity, right? There's only two. Because God said so. Male and female. Now there's all this conversation about, well, do you know your genders? I want to slap somebody. Forgive me, Lord. I want to slap them hard. Forgive me, Lord. Better not say it again because then I have to get on my knee and I can't get on my knee right now. Oh, Lord. There's a painful truth that I've mentioned many times before. Many, if not most churches today, teach very little to, to nothing about Bible prophecy, about what's happening in the world today. Except for some churches that are teaching an aberrant, unbiblical eschatology, uh, eschatological position. Eschatology is the study of, of last, uh, last days or last things. But they're teaching some aberrant, unbiblical, eschatological position that leans towards something called dominion theology. Dominion theology is a teaching that has the church conquering the earth victoriously before Jesus returns. Sure, I'd like to see that. That's quite a bold, arrogant claim, which has no true scriptural confirmation whatsoever. It's telling us that the church is going to become so victorious, you know, that Jesus won't come until we get it all cleaned up. We'll get this earth cleaned up. Well, there's no way. It goes, it goes strongly against, you know, the scriptures go strongly against that because what we're, what we're being told is that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of all kinds of things, but haters of God. Although they may show a, 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 a you know, some sense of being like religious or whatever, but, but denying the power, denying the power of God. We have to be very careful with the word of God. And there are those people who have said, oh, all, all scripture has been already fulfilled. Really? Wow, that's pretty good. That means Jesus has already come back and reigning and ruling and reigning in, in, in Jerusalem today. Anybody seen that yet? And then don't forget the mockers and the scoffers that were, were, we were warned about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse, verses 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come... 
in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Those are the preterists. Those are the amillennialists. Now, you may not know what these words mean, but I'll tell you in just a second. The preterists are the ones that believe that all scripture has already been fulfilled. The amillennialists don't believe in, in, a, in a thousand year reign of Christ, as the Bible teaches. You know, they just say, you know, uh, some of them all actually already believe that, uh, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about that. You know, we, I, I don't understand this sometimes. I mean, there's premillennialism, which is what we believe, pre, you know, that the Lord is going to come and reign for a thousand years. And then there's the postmillennialists who say that Jesus will come at the end of a thousand years. I don't understand that part of the thing. Uh, but then the ones that say amillennialism, which is Catholic Church and a lot of these uh, uh, liturgical type churches, they, they, they're amillennialists. But now a lot of evangelicals have embraced that. Well, you start embracing that, but you're not embracing the word of God that tells us that Jesus is going to come for his church first. And then the, the, and then the seven years begin. I mean, I mean, God has written it very clearly. So they're scoffing. Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's the way it is. No, it isn't. Well, one thing happens is creation. Man fell because of the enemy's lie. And the enemy continues to lie. And he's done so much damage with that one little lie. Where... Where did God say this? Did God really say this? Has God said? And then there's that little one chapter book called Jude, right before the book of Revelation, in verses 17 to 21. Jude says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. Sensual is just a, another word for fleshly. They live for the senses. Not having the spirit. But ye, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. These words are as, as, as contemporary as they can be for us today to know that at any moment Jesus himself can come. His, his return is an imminent return. Imminency means that it can happen at any time. So these are words for us. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Holy faith is a faith that is separated unto God, separated from the world. Praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit of God. Not repeating prayers out of a book. Praying from your heart. Praying in touch with the, the Spirit of God who gave us that wisdom to do so. Keep yourselves, guard yourselves, watch yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's his return for us. And then as we continue on in our text, and we've got to get finished here. Verse 13 tells us of the young women and men who can endure 
longer than others, but they will faint in their desperate search for the word or for the Lord and, and his help. They will faint, it says, for thirst. Thirst for what? Water? No. God already made that clear for the word of God. But neither, nor, neither they nor anyone else will be heard by the Lord. The day of judgment, the terrifying day of the Lord will continue. I quoted this, last verse, uh, this verse last time, but it bears repeating, Jeremiah 8.20. And remember, the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. That is what people are going to be saying when they're going out, looking, searching, thirsting. But there's an end time for it. There's a time of the end for this search. This is why God said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Now I did mention that there will be six judgment events. And the sixth one is verse 14, and we'll close with this. Amos 8, 14. They that swear by the sin of Samaria, which by the way, is the golden calf at Bethel. That's the sin of Samaria. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth. What God was worshipped in Dan? There was a bull image set up by Jeroboam, and you can read about it in 1 Kings 12, 29. So they were swearing by these images and the manner of Beersheba, Beersheba liveth. The Beersheba was even in the south. This was actually in Judah. And they would travel down. You can go back to chapter 5, verse 5. But you can just go down. You know, they would go down into, their, uh, into uh, Beersheba. And they worship their idols there too. Even they shall fall and never rise again. So the sixth judgment event is the day of the Lord will be a day of ruin or death for all idolaters. Every person worships something. Either the Lord or some other so-called God. The object of worship may be an image in a person's mind, an idol, another person, self, or another religion. But as we find in many passages in God's word, if people fail to worship the Lord, if they fail to worship the Lord or if they reject worshiping the Lord, they will fall. They will fall and they will fall hard. All false religions and false worshipers will fall never to rise again. Consider with great seriousness the words of Jesus concerning the terrifying trials and tribulations coming to earth in the last days of human history. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said in verses 20 through 24, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because uh, they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, with 
which are exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. It isn't for just a moment that we do a good work or we do a right thing. But it has to be the very attitude of the heart always. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, verses 29 and 30, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be dark and the moon shall not give her light and the sun, the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. There is a good side to it all. The good side is, of course, being where Jesus is during all of this time. When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Something we need to remember always. That is the blessing of the believer, the true believer, the one who believes God and Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and every word from Genesis to Revelation. Let me leave you with this one last passage in Mark 8, verses 36 to 38. Because once again, it brings to mind the fact that some people today would think that everything that this world has to offer is good. But there Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And by the way, he's not going to just come with his holy angels, but he's coming with his bride. We are his bride if we believe him and trust him.